Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah? Now, for us in the church, it's a no-brainer. Of course we believe that. But for people of the world, people who don't have an active faith in God, that's the million-dollar question. In fact, that's the number one uncertainty that many, many people wrestle with on a regular basis. And without a divine revelation, a spiritual revelation of the crucified Christ, it is literally impossible to fully comprehend the gospel of grace. Unless you receive something outside of your own ability to understand, there's just no way that you can receive and accept this story. That's why every single time this subject matter comes up, Every time I think about salvation and what it means to me, I literally want to fall on my knees and thank God for opening my blind eyes, for allowing me the grace necessary to receive him as my personal Lord and Savior. And that opportunity is available to everyone. I'm going to repeat that again. The opportunity and the possibility of knowing Jesus as the Messiah is available to everyone, no exceptions. In fact, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Not just us, not just one group of people, but God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That word, whosoever, in the Greek, do you know what it means? Whosoever. By definition, it encompasses everyone, every nation, every tribe, people, and tongue. And there's really only one requirement. Humility. Are you willing to humble yourself and go to the foot of the cross and bow your knee there in repentance of sin and confess with your own lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, the Bible makes it very clear. The Bible tells us that one day, every single person who's ever lived on the face of the whole earth, they are going to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They are going to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. And so you have a choice. You can either humble yourself now, or you can wait until you have no other choice. And just so you know, those are not my words. Those words come right from Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus said, if you would be willing to humble yourself, you'll be exalted. But when you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. And so one way or another, because of sin, we are all going to eat or taste humble pie. And again, on the authority of God's word, for some people, 
forced or mandatory humility is not going to end well. Because when we get on the other side of this thing called life, the Bible tells us there's going to be some people on the outside looking in. And that's why I have suggested and recommended and appealed to you countless times to take care of this business now. To do something about it now. To make your way to the foot of the cross and to believe that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. That he came down from heaven to earth to be a man, to go to the cross, to die there, to breathe his last breath, to be buried but not stay buried on the third day, raised to life again, and is now currently seated at the right hand of the Father, clothed in all majesty. I've asked you to consider doing that, because that, my friend, is the gospel message. It's the salvation story. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that's why I often refer to John 3.16 as the hallmark verse of the Christian faith. You see, highlighting the divinity of Jesus, the gospel of John gives us the secret to the spiritual side of Christianity. The gospel of John gives us the secret to the spiritual side of Christianity. However, by the same token, the gospel of Mark, it provides us with the key to the practical side. John, the spiritual side. Mark, the practical side of our faith. And the one passage found in the Gospel of Mark that showcases and highlights what this Gospel is really all about, and you saw it referenced in the video just a few moments ago, is found in chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 43, 44, and 45. And I have been talking about these verses for the past month. Here's what it says. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, we cannot have complete buy-in to Christianity without Mark 10.43. Mark 10.43 makes it crystal clear. Followers of Christ, believers of the gospel message of Jesus must learn to emulate Jesus' commitment to servanthood. I'm going to say that again. According to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, what I'll call the most important part of that whole Gospel. Followers of Christ must learn to emulate the example that Jesus gave to us when it comes to serving. And please don't anyone misquote me. I didn't say that Mark 10, 43 is mandatory for salvation. Come on, you know better than that. Salvation is solely based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone. And you should know by now the only reason or the only way that you could receive that kind of faith is by the grace of God. Classic Ephesians 2, 8, 9. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Mark 10.43 is not essential or mandatory for salvation, but it sure is for promotion in God. In fact, without it, you can barely get a passing grade. Jesus says, you want to be great in God's eyes? You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then learn what it means to serve. Learn how to develop a servant's heart. And my friends, this is the hidden treasure. This is the pearl of great price found in the gospel of Mark. It's all about learning to serve. Now, several months ago, I had a young pastor come to me and he asked if he could interview me because he had a paper to write in order to complete his theology degree requirements. And so we sat down together, we engaged in this conversation and the interview, and one of the first questions that he asked me is, uh, over the years, what would you say, or what would you identify as the most challenging uh, part of church ministry? And I didn't have to think about that. In fact, I had the answer before I even finished asking the question. I, I just blurted it right out off the top of my head. I said, people. <laughs> people are the absolute hardest and most difficult part of ministry. And for obvious reasons this morning, I won't go into a lot of detail. <laughs> but we chatted about it. And he made some notes and he said, I get it. He goes, I got a follow-up question for you. If people are the most challenging part of church ministry, then what would you say is the most rewarding? Again, didn't have to think about it. Came up with the answer just like that. Any idea what it might be? That's right. The same answer as the previous question. People. The most rewarding part of ministry. And now I'm not talking about all of the wonderful, godly, generous, incredible people that I've encountered here at Community Christian Church over the years. I'm talking about people, period. People. Is she uh, shepherding and serving people, even those with the most difficult personalities and the biggest problems, that's what's kept me in ministry all these years. And shepherding and serving and meeting the needs of people is not something I do because I'm a pastor and that's what pastors are supposed to do. Dispersing or carrying out my pastoral duties, I don't do on a basis of obligation because... The scripture says that's the only way to gather a resume of greatness. I shepherd and I serve and I meet the needs of people because I've learned the value of serving. I'm going to say that again. Over the years, I have learned the value of serving. And acts of service is a part of me. It's in me. It's not something that I turn on and turn off when I want to. It's become a part of my heart. Check this out. As much as I love when God throws me a bone, 
like everybody else. I mean, I get all giddy. And I, I love when, when he expresses and shines his grace and his favor upon me. But for me, the greater blessing is being used by God and, being, and knowing that I'm being used by God to help and to change and to improve somebody else's life. Amen. See, that's the best reward. That's what really brings a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. And learning to serve is how we discover the heart of God. Becoming someone who has the same kind of servant's heart that Jesus emulated and came to earth to perform, that's how we get a hold of who God really is. And again, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, we're told that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, right? That's what he came to do. He said it himself, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. Now tell me, who was Jesus most interested in serving? Who did he want to please more than anyone else? Anyone? The Father. Uh, follow him around for a little while, and you'll hear him say over and over again, my, my greatest desire is to please the Father. I only do what the Father asked me to do. He, I have such devotion for the Father. I, I want the Father to be pleased with me. And yet, he reveals and proves his love for the Father. He displays the devotion that he has to the Father by serving us. Let that sink in for a little bit. Jesus showed his love for the Father by his willingness to serve us. And by the same token, we show our devotion to God. We prove how much we love him when the scripture says the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. We show forth how much love we have by serving others. This is how we express our greatness and our, our love for him. It's how we treat one another. Check out Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Here's what it says. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name. For whose name? For, his, for whose name? For his name. For God's name. He, he, he's not unjust. He, he doesn't overlook that the work that you have done to show your love for his name in serving the saints as you still do. The message says it this way. God doesn't miss anything. How many of you learned that? He sees it all. He, he knows everything. He knows perfectly well all the love that you've shown him. That you've shown who? He, he knows all the love that you've shown him by doing what? By helping needy Christians, and you keep at it. Friends, you show the extent of love that you have for God. You express how deeply devoted you are to Him, not by all of your Bible study hours, necessarily, not because you spend the first hour of your day in prayer or you love to worship God all the time when you're stuck in traffic. These are all great things. But the scripture makes it very clear. We show how devoted we are to him by the way we treat one another. 
and how we serve one another and continue to do it. Spiritual maturity and greatness from Jesus' point of view and possessing a love for God has to include our acts of service to one another. It's a part of it. And yet we think as long as we've got this right, as long as we're doing everything that we possibly can to honor the Lord with our lives and walk according to his commandments and follow his instructions, man, we're, we're living high. We're, we're, we're doing great. But Jesus comes along and says, you know how you prove this? Like this. This is how you show the extent of your love. This is how you express to God how much you love him is the way that you're willing to serve and care about one another. Here's another passage in case you don't believe me. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 3. Behold my servant. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I, God, have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick, one that's just flickering, just barely, he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Who's Isaiah talking about here? Who's this about? This is Jesus. And did you check out the way that Isaiah begins this particular prophecy about Jesus? Verse 1, Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my what? I didn't hear you. Not my son. Not behold the Messiah, the Savior of the world, my only begotten son, but servant. Look at my servant. Study my servant. Fix and focus your attention on him. And how many of you remember that was our New Year's resolution back a few weeks ago? That's how we started this New, Year off, New Year's off in January 2021. Remember that? I came before you and I said, it's time for a reset because the church of Jesus Christ needs to re-examine where we're at and get back to the business of the gospel message. Amen. Living the gospel, serving the gospel, believing the gospel, preaching the gospel message. And back then, the 1st of January, I recommended and proposed a five-week series in January on the subject of Jesus, only Jesus. And midway through that sermon series in January, I was praying one morning. I felt as though the Lord said, Pastor, keep it going. Keep that series going. I said, for how long, Lord? He goes, as long as it takes. Amen. Friends, I want you to know, deep within my heart, I am fully committed to this reset objective. I want Community Christian Church to arise to the challenge and I want us to be able to exploit the darkness that's in the world today, not have the darkness exploit us. I want us to be able to capitalize on all the craziness that's going on in the world, to cry out to God and to believe that God can turn it around. Amen. I believe that with all of my heart. And we're continuing 
to do exactly what we started back in January of this year, and that's to seek the Lord. The only way we can do that is with eyes fully on Jesus. Not all of the other distractions taking place in the world today. And so how about we continue to do that this morning? Amen. Thank you. We've got one gal who's willing to do that. <laughs> Let's listen to what God had to say to us in Isaiah chapter 41 when he said, Behold my servant, look at my servant, study my servant, fix your eyes on him, the one that would never break a bruised reed and he would never blow out a candle that's just barely flickering. Let's take a look at that kind of a servant. We'll start in Matthew chapter 5. And for those of you who like to watch the time and go back and forth with looking at your watch, that was all introduction. Uh, you at home, go grab a cup of coffee or water. You can't, well, I guess you could get some water, but all of what I just said, that doesn't count in my message time now. We're starting right now, okay? Just kidding. Mark chapter 5, let's begin reading with verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. Was this a small crowd? This is a great crowd. It really means that there was a multitude of people. I mean, there so many, they came out of the woodwork. And in that crowd of people, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered many or suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. Remember, it, it was bothering her for 12 years. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power or virtue had gone out of him, he immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments or who touched me? His disciples said to Jesus, come on, man. You see the crowd pressing in. There's so many people. And yet you say, who touched me? But Jesus looked around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened, to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole story, the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Be healed of what? Of your disease. Are you talk about a bruised reed? or a candle wick that was barely smoking, barely burning, and just about ready to go out, and that would be this woman right here in Mark chapter 5. She had an ongoing health problem, one that she had been dealing with for 12 years, and she was in pain, and she was suffering, but not just physically, Oh, there was a whole lot more to this story than just the medical or the physical pain that she was going through. 
And let me explain something to you. Let me, let me explain why I feel as though there was a whole lot more here than just the medical side of it. Let me just get through a couple of verses here in Leviticus chapter 15. If you're following uh, in your uh, Bible or mobile device, I'm not going to read every, uh, every word because of content. But I'm going to read every word that, that's on the screen. Leviticus chapter 15. Here's what it said. The law of Moses. When a woman has a discharge of blood or a bleeding problem for many days at a time other than her normal monthly period or has bleeding that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Any bed she lies on while her bleeding continues will be unclean. Anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches them or her will be unclean. And they must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until the evening. You see, this passage here in Leviticus chapter 15, it accurately and perfectly describes the gal that we just read about in Mark chapter 5. And as you can plainly see, her conflict went well beyond the medical realm. You see, not only was she in pain, uh, this was a very painful physical condition, but emotionally, it was embarrassing, humiliating at the very least. And then besides all that, there were some spiritual consequences as well. So you read between the lines and you, you see what's going on here. And the reason there were some spiritual issues is because Leviticus chapter 15 tells us that the woman was deemed or declared to be unclean. How would you like to have that label or that designation? Unclean. How would you like someone to say that about you? And in Old Testament times, being labeled or being told that you were unclean was synonymous with being dirty or being sinful. And until you had a chance to correct your situation, until you were able to fix whatever problem you had, you were temporarily banned from any and all worshipful activity and ceremony. And so this 12-year bleeding condition would have brought upon this particular woman religious and social disdain, isolation, and rejection. If she were single, she would not have been able to get married. If she was a married woman, she wouldn't have been able to have intimacy with her husband. And if any of her family members or close circle of friends were to have come in contact with her, or to touch her, then they would have been deemed or declared unclean as well. So as you can imagine, a lot of people just kind of avoided her. They stayed out of her way, and they didn't do much to associate with her. And then Mark gives us a little additional detail about what this woman might have been going through. Mark tells us that she had seen many doctors, not just a few, but every doctor she could find. And the scripture says she suffered many things because of these doctors. So either during the physical examination that every new doctor would have performed on her, either it was so painful, excruciatingly painful, or there might have been some physical abuse here. And then the scripture tells us after seeing all of these doctors, one right after the other, she wasn't getting any better. But she continued to get worse. And besides all that, she was broke. 
She didn't have any money left over. After 12 years of paying for medical bills and all of those doctor's appointments and all of the prescriptions that they had given to her, yet she wasn't any better, she found herself with absolutely no money left at all. So quite possibly, she could have been a homeless woman as well. And when this woman, this daughter of Zion, this Jewish woman, was as low as she could go, when she fell down and out, and at the end of her rope, she encountered Jesus. She heard that Jesus was in that crowd. And she also heard that other people that had similar physical ailments to the kind that she had, not the exact same kind, but people who had some medical problems, they were able to cry out to Jesus for help. And guess what? Jesus healed them. She heard that. She heard that Jesus had the power to heal. But of course, she was way too embarrassed to approach Jesus face to face and tell him her story. So she thought, if I could just get behind him, if I could just somehow touch the edge of his garment, if I could just grab a corner of his robe, then maybe he could help me. Maybe he could change my situation. And so that's exactly what she did. She pushed through the crowd. She took hold of his robe. And as soon as she touched his garment, immediately she sensed the power of God rush into her body. And the the scripture says she knew that moment that she was healed. She literally felt the bleeding stop. And she knew she was completely healed. And at that same moment, Jesus felt the exact same thing. And he turned around suddenly and said, who touched me? And fearing that Jesus would call her out and identify who she was, she came trembling. She fell on her knees before him. She told Jesus the entire story. And Jesus said to her, I commend you for your faith. Go and be healed. Be healed of your sickness and your disease. See, this wasn't normal. This was a disease. Friend, when you read that story and you spend a little time thinking about it, this was just another tremendous miracle at the hands of Jesus. It's an incredible story. And this past week, when I reread it and I prayed about it, I was drawn to the mindset of this bleeding woman. You see, here was a gal who had every reason to be deeply frustrated and totally disappointed and and probably bankrupt of faith. And how could you blame her? It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. for her to to have this situation and she could not get any relief from it. And when you read through the Bible and you study her story, you don't find any indication whatsoever that she had a shady past. It wasn't like she brought this on herself. Certainly not like the Samaritan woman, married and divorced five times. She wasn't put in the same category as Levi the tax collector, the one who was cheating the people of God on a regular basis. He did that for years. Neither was she like 
Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus with a kiss, or the sinful woman who everyone else wanted to stone to death. When you read her story, you just kind of get the feeling like this was a good woman, a God-fearing woman. Jesus called her daughter. For all intents and purposes, she was probably an average, everyday person, just like the rest of us. And she had done everything she possibly knew to do to correct her situation. And I'll bet she worked hard at it. She desperately tried to resolve the issues that she was going through. She went and saw so many different doctors. She did as many things as she could do without any success. She could not change her situation. However, instead of getting bitter, instead of giving up hope or losing heart, she does something way out of the ordinary. In fact, this woman is the only person identified in all of the Gospels that did what she did. This woman was determined to reach out and touch Jesus. She pursued Jesus. She went after Jesus. She thought, if only I could get near to Jesus. Now, when you read through the Gospels, most everyone else begged Jesus to touch them. Did you get that? They lined up in droves, one right after the other. They came from everywhere, every town, every village. They were carried to Jesus. They were brought to Jesus by family members and friends. And at times, the scripture says, they lined up for hours, well into the night, and Jesus would touch them all. He would heal them all. And as they came, they would say, touch me, Jesus. Heal me, Jesus. Heal my blind eyes, correct my crippled body, cleanse my diseased skin, do something for me, Jesus. Not this gal, not the Mark 5 woman. Oh no, she never asked Jesus for anything. She didn't cry out for mercy, she didn't beg for a healing, she didn't appeal to God for a miracle. What did she do? She said, If I could touch him, if only I could get to him, if I could reach out. If I could just put my hand on Jesus, I know that he would heal me. And I know that he could change my life. And Jesus commended her for her faith because that's inspirational faith, friends. It moves the heart of God. When you read through this story and you grasp hold of what this woman was thinking about and what was going on in her mind, that compelled God to move into action. So just before we make our way to the communion table, what I want to do is I want to give you three elements of faith that this woman revealed in this story. I'm going to do this real quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. If you'd like to study these in a little greater detail sometime this week, have at it. Three elements of faith revealed or shown in this story from this incredible woman. Number one, the woman had to negotiate the crowd. She had to negotiate the crowd. Remember I made a big deal about it, that it was a a, a good crowd, a, a, a countless number of people, multitude of people. You know how intimidating it is to work through a crowd like that? Crowds are mobs, as I like to refer to them. 
They just have a way of browbeating and strong-arming and influencing the way that we think and the way that we act and even the way that we behave. There might have been some people in this crowd that knew this woman, identified this woman. Maybe they even knew her situation and knew she was declared unclean by the priest, but she didn't care. She wasn't concerned about what the mob had to say or what the crowd had to say or what they did. She pushed right past that crowd and she would not be denied. She made her way to Jesus. She negotiated the crowd. That was number one. Number two, the second act of faith was this woman's willingness to believe the stories she'd heard about Jesus. There's no indication in this passage that she had ever met Jesus. Chances are she didn't know really what he was capable of doing. She, she hadn't experienced it before. She didn't see it with her own eyes. But she heard the testimony and the story of others. She was willing to believe what other people had said about Jesus. And it increased her faith. Remember what Paul said in Romans 10? Faith comes by hearing. And so this woman, even though she didn't see it for herself, she couldn't confirm it, she couldn't prove it, she never experienced the power of Jesus before, she believed the word of others. And then finally, the third act of faith was to conclude that God would look with favor upon someone like her. That God would favor her. Even though she had so much baggage. I mean, think about it for a moment. In the best of scenarios, how could this woman feel good about herself? How could she believe that she would be worthy of any blessing that God had to offer? How could she possibly overcome the shame of her unclean condition? She hadn't felt like a woman or a normal person in 12 years, walking around with that label, thinking to herself every time she went to the priest, they referred to her as being unclean. And yet, in light of all that, as she was standing there among that crowd of people, she concluded, the God I serve will favor me. He will bless me. And guess what? She was right. Because God is no respecter of persons. Remember John 3.16? The whole world, whosoever, in Christ, the blessings, the promises, every benefit that God has to offer is for you and it's for me. And the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is freedom. And this woman believed it. And so I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads here for a moment. Let's prepare our hearts for the communion time. Give me just a few more moments. I'm not going to drag this out. But I'm just sensing right now, I just feel that there's something very unique happening among us. As you just search your own heart, as we all do that here in the building, at home, those of you who may be listening even days after today, Holy Spirit, speak to me. That's what I'm asking right now, is for you to listen carefully to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray that we would be willing to see you as you really are. You're the God who came to serve. Jesus, you came not to be served, not to be waited on, not to be treated like a VIP. You came to do that to us. It's hard to feel this way, but Lord, because of you, we're worthy of everything that you have to offer. And this covenant that we're about to confirm, this communion gift that you've given to us, it reminds us who we are. That you are God and we're your people and we're involved in this in tremendous interaction of covenant, a divine covenant that you said you would never break. It's an everlasting covenant and we're a part of it. And I pray, Lord, in these closing moments, you would do some incredible things in our hearts, in our minds, and in our bodies. Let the power of the living God be among us today, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there's a passage of scripture found in the book of James, James chapter 5 and verse 14. And it basically says, uh, if there are any among you that have a need, if you have a problem of any kind, especially if you're sick or if you've got some issues that you're dealing with, then it's a good idea to call the elders and the pastors of the church together, have them lay their hands on you and pray for you, anoint you with oil. And right there in James chapter 5, it says when you do that, when you take that kind of a step of faith, there's power in that prayer. And you can expect that there's going to be something good that happens. And James 5.14 is something that we've been doing here at our church for 29 plus years. I've always believed it since the very first time that I got saved. And we will continue to do it. We will continue to pray and to stand and believe with you. In fact, after every service, there are people, there are altar ministers, elders and pastors here that would agree with you in prayer and anoint with oil. We, we, we just do that. We have it in our hearts. But you know, there's times when we have to take that one step beyond and we have to emulate the faith of this woman in Mark chapter 5 where we don't ask someone else to lay their hands on and touch us. We don't pray that someone else will bless us, but that we seek God on our own. That we say within ourselves, God, if only I could get to you. If only I could take hold of your garment. If only I could reach out and get closer to you than I've ever been before. That I know something positive will happen in my life. I'm, I'm not looking for anyone else to do this, Lord. I need you to do this for me because I'm willing to take a step towards you. You see, so often we take another route. I'm going to call it the easy way out. We have somebody else pray for us. Write out a prayer request. Call it into the church office. Those are all great things. We will continue doing those things. They're in the scripture. They're viable. They're wonderful. But then there's this woman 
in Mark chapter 5, and she takes the step on her own. And she pushes past the crowd, and she believes what was said about Jesus. And she knows in her heart that God's going to favor her, even though she doesn't feel worthy. And God touches her and changes her life. That's the power of the living God for each and every one of us. That's what we sing about. That's what we preach about. It's what we believe in our hearts. And this morning, as I was speaking to you, I just had this sense that some of you could really identify with this gal. And Phil made reference to it during the worship. Zach came up in the break and he said the same thing. I mean, it's just a reoccurring voice right now. Some of you have been dealing with some issues for months and years and decades. And you feel just like this gal. It's not right. I've tried to fix this for years. When Jesus went to that cross, the scripture says he carried every sin, every sickness, every disease, every infraction, every addiction, every shameful act, every failure, everything we could do that is wrong in the world, and he took it on his own shoulders for us. And the punishment was put on him so it wouldn't be put on us. That makes us worthy. That's what allows us to take a step toward God, even when we feel there's so much baggage. How could God bless us? I appeal to you. Push past which you might have in your own mind that would stop you. Believe that Jesus is your healer and know that he wants to favor you. Father, just thank you for these closing moments here now. Thank you for the power of the living God, a wave of it coming over this congregation, flowing into homes and into cars, into business places. Lord, you are the God who loves us so much. You sent your son to serve us, to be a ransom for us so that we could be whole, free of our sin, free of our sickness, our disease. You did it, Lord. And then you reminded us with this covenant that we're part of the beauty that you have to offer. And so it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Then after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's how Jesus established it with his blood. He went to the cross. He paid the price for every sin, every sickness. Do this remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death. You declare the power of the living God in your life. Let's take the cup together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. 
For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.